0: So, there's a lot of hate in the world. A lot of hatred in the world. Sometimes people have hatred in their hearts. Actually, let me um, let me ask for a show of hands. How many of you have hatred in your hearts? Let me show a hand. Okay, not, not as many as I thought. Do you have hatred in your heart? do you have hatred in your heart? She says, yes. You gotta get the right answer. Do you have hatred in your heart? Wow. I'm a little disappointed here at Ironworks. I I thought I would see more hands. We need more hands, actually. You know, what this world really needs is more hatred in the heart. You need to have hatred. You need to know this as a Christian. You need to have hate in your heart. Because if you don't have hatred for evil, then very soon you will find yourself immersed in it. So hatred of evil is something that was perfected in our Lord Jesus Christ. He's someone who had a lot of hatred in his heart. He had the hatred of evil and it was perfect in him. So it found him out. Jesus, as soon as he comes out of the wilderness, which we spoke about last week, he comes to a synagogue, and we see this. So you need to think about this, because some of you are very discouraged. And what you need in your discouragement, what gives you hope, is a recognition that there's evil that needs to be hated enough to be destroyed. So you should take heart, because what we read about Jesus Christ, we find somebody... Uh, Evil finds him. Evil finds Jesus. Because after this battle in the wilderness he went through, he came out and he started a crusade against all the things that destroy people. And he hated it. And and, and his his hatred of evil was so perfect, it drew evil out wherever he went. So he found trouble wherever he went. What I want to show you is the place where he went this morning, and I'm not seeing these uh, slides here. Yeah, he went to a place called Capernaum, and Capernaum, here we see it. There's no mystery about where it is. This is the ancient city of uh, Capernaum from the first century that's been excavated, excavated by the franciscan catholic franciscans thank god for the franciscans who did a wonderful job in excavating this first century town uh and this is what um this, the synagogue uh is like there now now this is not the first century synagogue you can tell because the stone is uh, light colored it's imported stone so it has a kind of a roman Architectural feel, so it's it's not the the synagogue of the first century, but it's in the same place. And the way you can tell that is by looking at the foundation. And what we find is, you look underneath that stone, that imported stone. What you see is this basalt, this dark basaltic rock, which is what you would find in northern part of Galilee, and that's what they would build with in the first century. Where before that, when the, when the synagogue was built, they used the local stones. And that is the foundation, turns out, of the first century synagogue. So this is the actual synagogue that Jesus walked into when, when we're, um, in, for this event that we're about to read about. And what I want you to see is that the, the, old, the new synagogue is, is built right on top of the old synagogue. And it has the, the same dimensions, you can see that here. Like Also, you look along the side, you can see the basalt underneath. So even though this is not the actual first century synagogue, this is, gives you pretty much a picture of what it would be like. It would have the same thing with the, with the benches on the side and uh, with the columns and all. Um, so this is, this is pretty big. I wanted to show you this because it's about 5,000 square feet. And if you were evil, you could avoid Jesus when he came in. This, was a, uh, this is one of the largest synagogues that uh, has been found from that time period. It's because Capernaum was such an important center. It's an international center. It was along international highways. It was also on the, right on the Sea of Galilee, so it was, a, uh, which itself was kind of international. And so if you, when Jesus Christ walked into this space, you could kind of hide in a corner. You, could, you didn't have to come out, but that is not what evil does in response to Jesus' coming. Please stand with me if you can, as you're able, and we'll read from Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 21. We're going to read verses 21 through 28, and this is a, uh, from the NIV early version. Again, Mark chapter 1. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were also amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching? And, and with authority, he even gives orders to the evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Praise be to you. Please sit down. Make yourself comfortable. So, in response to Jesus' authority, evil is there. And his hatred of evil, which came out in his teaching, brought it out. You notice that, that when he teaches, immediately this evil uh, comes forth. This man with the evil spirit speaks to him. So his teaching brought it out, the evil. And it's uh, an example for us to see what evil looks like when it comes. So we're going to look at evil from this passage today. Three things I want to bring out to you about it. First, the cry of evil and how it's recognizable. Secondly, the deportation of evil and how it is violent. And thirdly, the end of evil So let's look at this cry of evil that comes forth when Jesus, in his crusade against all the things that destroy people, comes into this space, into this very synagogue. What does the demon say? What he says, verse 24, actually, the way it's uh, translated there, (coughs) I think that sentence, what do you want with us? Actually, in Greek it's the words these four words tmoi kaisoi or i guess here it's uh, in the plural so themen kaisoi tmoi kaisoi now what is exactly he saying there it's very hard to translate because the words don't add up to you know the meaning of the it's like an expression and so it doesn't help to read it literally you know sometimes we say well literally it means you know but here you say literally and it's, it's kind of nonsensical. What those words actually mean are what to me and to you. So it doesn't uh, really help us. Ti kai soi. What to me and to you. But uh, together, they make this expression. It's kind of better translated as something like, what do I have to do? What do you have to do with me? What do I have to do to you? You know, and uh, I, I think... Uh, Probably the best way to translate it, um, I'm waiting for this to show up in the English translations. But the best way you could translate it is probably this mind your own business. Mind your own business. What to me, what do we have in, in common, Jesus? What are you doing here? Mind your own business. And that, friends, that is the cry of evil. That's the cry of evil when goodness comes to town, when goodness and righteousness and purity come. That is the response of evil. You know, what's fascinating to me is that Jesus goes on this, uh, with his crusade and he encounters other demons and some of them say the same thing. Some of them actually use these words again. So he goes to different places like this, another place on the opposite side of the Sea of Galilee. A whole other side. He comes to a demon, and demon says this very thing, "Tiamoi kai soi. What did me to you? Same thing. So it's like, wow. It's interesting that, that they say the same thing. In fact, this turns out to be an expression in Greek, a Greek expression. We know this because the, the late cynic um, Epictetus, Epictetus uses this in his teachings and is captured by his student and written down. And he uses this expression, too, tia moi kai soi. So it seems to be just a figure of speech in Greek. Makes me wonder, you know, maybe demons are Greek? I don't know. know, I I could see, I say that because I'm Greek, but I could see it. But here's the funny thing. There's almost the exact same expression in Hebrew. In Hebrew, it's mali. What? To me, also to you. It's the same thing. And it actually is used in the Old Testament when people are protesting something, you see this coming out sometimes, people say it. So it's like, isn't that odd? It's not odd. You know why? Because you will find this expression, you need this expression in any language that's being used by people where there's evil. Because this is the response of evil to being confronted. Just mind your own business. So, you know, languages don't overlap completely. Like I was just talking uh, this week with a, a Turkish teacher. And I said, well, how do you say this in Turkish? And he said to me, well, you can't really say that in Turkish. There's no way to say this certain thing I was asking in Turkish. i was like, what? How can you like, not have a way to say it? In Turkish. So, languages don't always mean the same thing. You know, in the kind of native uh, speech of, of uh, Alaska, you probably heard it might be 17 words for snow or something like that. So, there might not be 17 words for snow in every language, but I'm willing to bet you in every language there is something like TMYKISOY. I'm willing to bet you because in every language that's spoken by people, if there's evil there, there will be this response. This is always the response of evil. Now, it doesn't mean that every time you hear this expression, it's, it's evil. <laughs> okay, whenever somebody says, mind your own business, I mean, Jesus actually uses this expression once, and he does it in a righteous way. But I will tell you that every time evil speaks, in, when it's being confronted, this is what it says. Tia moi kai soi. Now, do you recognize this, friends? Have you, have, do you recognize this voice? Have you ever heard this in response to something good? Or have you ever maybe heard it yourself, heard yourself saying it? Let me tell you my earliest memory, my earliest childhood memory. You know, we tend to forget things as life goes on, and we start to forget our memories fade, you know, their whole... You get older, and whole swaths of your life, you forget, <laughs> right? But, but here's my earliest memory. I've never forgotten it. Never forgotten this. And I think it was before I could even talk. Earliest thing I can remember is my, wa- my mother coming at me with a washcloth. And um, she was going to clean my face, um, because when I was little, it turns out as I was a little kid, my nose used to run a lot. And so I would get stuff all over my face and I was also spending a lot of time in the dirt. And so there was, there would, I'd be getting really dirty and there's stuff in my nose and then the bottom of my face would get caked with like stuff. <laughs> it was really bad. I, I, my, my older sisters have told me this. So, so apparently this was something that was, uh, this was the way I was as a little kid. So my mother would periodically come with a washcloth and try to clean off my face. And my earliest memory, the earliest thing I can remember is this feeling of my face being clean and I was thinking in my heart, things are good as they are. Leave me be. Things are good as they are. Let me roughly translate that for you into Greek, TMOI kaisoi. <laughs> she wanted to clean me. I was like, things are good as they are, leave me be. That, friends, was my earliest memory. <laughs> Has never faded. But I'm ashamed to say, it's not only my earliest memory, it's a recurring memory. It's a recurring memory of times when I have said that. Times when... Something good has come, and that has been my response. TMO kai In fact, I've had this repeatedly throughout my In fact, <laughs> last week, uh, last week I had this uh, memory because um, I was in a conversation with someone, and I said something, and my wife said to me, you know, that was kind of harsh, what you said there. I, the way that you said that was, was not good. And you know my first response was? Don't, don't talk to me woman <laughs> my first response was it no you know in fact that was not only my first response that was my second response and my third response and um, she didn't keep bringing it up but I kept hearing her voice in my head like actually the word that she used was edgy that was an edgy thing to say you know and so this kept going for a few days until you know Holy Spirit grabbed me somehow at one point, and you know I remember saying I was by myself. I said, "Mary Kay, you are absolutely right." What was that again? Tiamoi kai soy. This is something that is the response. I'm sorry to say, even in me. You know, it's our reaction when we don't when something really much. Very good comes to us, and we don't want what's inside of us to be revealed, which is not good. Sort of like cockroaches when you turn on the light. It's that response, this fear with defiance. Sure, I think I I want what's right. I say I want what's good and what's right, you know, until it's right there in front of me showing me that I am not. So the cry of evil first of all, is recognizable in us. And I wonder if you can recognize it close to you. But secondly, the evil, when it leaves, is convulsive. You know, this is why Jesus hated evil. Because uh, we're essentially at the mercy of it. You know, maybe we we aren't demon-possessed, Maybe we don't get demon-possessed, but what we can get, I would say, is is evil-grabbed. Okay, Maybe we're not demon-possessed, but this is the way I put it. We get evil-grabbed. And there are places each of us have where we are particularly vulnerable to that grabbing, where that particular um, time in which evil can have its way with us. And when evil does come to that time in our lives, we're, we're sort of like you know, the Bahamas before Hurricane Dorian. It's like there's no defense. It's like there's nothing you can do. It's like evil is just going to have its way with you, and that's why he hated it so much. That's why Jesus was on this crusade. You know, I don't know. It ought to be surprising, don't you think, that the first encounter with evil that Jesus has after the wilderness, the first encounter, is in a religious institution. Or maybe not. But the good news is that he has come with authority to rid us of this evil, at which sometimes we are at at its mercy. So there's a deportation here we see in this patch, a, a kind of an exorcism, right? But what you note about this is that it, evil does not go quietly. It is violent. The deportation of evil is not without convulsions. You Look at this verse in verse 26. It says, shook, right? Evil spirits shook the man. Well, that, uh, it's hard to convey the force of that. But that is a strong word. I mean, it's the same word that's used uh, in the Old Testament for an earthquake. When an earthquake happens. You know, that's the same word. It's also used another time when a, when a billy goat knocks a man over. It's violent. We well, need to realize this. Jesus Christ wants to rid your life of evil, but it is not a smooth process. It's attended to by violence. Sometimes there are convulsions. You need to recognize that some of you are looking at at your lives right now and you're saying, you know, I'm a Christian now. I thought it'd kind of be smooth, you know, this idea of sanctification, and it is not. But you realize that evil just does not go easily. Evils, you know, it's not like one of those uh, nice house guests. You know, you have people over sometimes, and kind of gets later in the night, and and, uh, the evening's wearing on, and you 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 yawn, go, oh well, I have a hard day at work tomorrow, (laughs) and the polite guest says, oh, I should be going now, right? They kind of take the hint. So, polite guest, a nice guest. They leave, right? Or you say, oh, well, this has been a great time, but you know, I notice the wine bottle's empty. And they say, oh, well, wow, I've got to get back to the babysitter, right? Those are nice guests. Evil is not like that. In fact, you could look evil dead in the eye and say, I want you to go. You know what the response is? Tia moi kai It's not going to go easily. And this guy, boy, I don't know what it was like for him. You can imagine like, oh, isn't this great? Jesus has come into my life. Maybe eventually he felt that way. I'm sure eventually he was joyful that Jesus came into his life. But I can imagine what he felt during the time. If this was happening to you, he could very well have been feeling, yeah, things were good as they are, (laughs) you know, without this violence, this convulsions happening in my life. So if some of you wonder why this is happening in your life. Why is this happening in your family? It's because evil does not go quietly into that good night. No, it exits with violence. So you got to expect a you got to expect a fight in the Christian life. You have got to expect a fight, and you need to, dear 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 friends, you need to stop whining that it is a fight because that is the nature of evil. And Jesus is here to exercise it. But you must expect to fight in the Christian life. That's why you need to hate, that's why you need to get up and hate evil. Not the people, the evil, the evil that's possessing them, that's grabbing them, hate that. And number two, you know, on this point, you this should help us to be patient with one another. We should be, if we're trying to help others exercise wrongness in their hearts, we shouldn't be surprised at the resistance. You know, the great thing about a Christian community is that it's very realistic about this. It's like, this why I like being in a church. It's because they are, there are many fewer misconceptions about people. And we recognize that evil is still there, and evil can grab hold of us. You know, and evil can grab hold of others in places where they are vulnerable to this. And it uh, it it's, it should allow us to have much more patience with one another. And in fact, you know, that is what I find here at Ironworks. I'm very encouraged. One of the reasons I love this community. One of the great things about this community is that I see you the degree that I've seen some of your lives, and I see you being patient with one another. Friends, that is just marvelous. And I think it comes of this understanding. It's great to see this here. Evil always gives a fight, and that means we're patient with one another. Well, of course, the good news, as I said, is the third point of this passage, is really the main point of the passage. The cry of evil is certainly recognizable, and it only leaves with convulsions. But the main point of this passage is to give us an assurance about something. Because of Jesus' hatred of evil, because of Jesus' authority, the end of evil is certain. You know, in the New Testament, demons come up, I was talking with uh, some of the guys here this morning about demons, and they could be really scary. But you know, in the New Testament, in the Gospels especially, demons really only come up when they're getting cast out. In contradistinction to the pseudepigrapha of the time, and you know that word, pseudepigrapha, are, is referring to a group of, of works from the same time period that were, that were not included in the Bible on purpose. Because they didn't have apostolic authorship. But you could read a pseudopigrapha and and you know some and they we call it pseudopigrapha because often it's represented, it's written as represented falsely under a name that we might know. But you can read them and you can find plenty of accounts of demons, you know, doing different things. Or for that matter, you could do find the same thing in rabbinic literature of the time, or or even, you know, non-Jewish literature of the time, plenty of stories about demons. But in the New Testament, you only read about demons when they're when they're on their way out. <laughs> Why? Because when Jesus shows up, they are on their way out, because of the authority that he wields. And he has this authority. I mean, look—they call it a new teaching. Huh. It's not really a new teaching. Um, it isn't really a teaching. Jesus commands it to go, and it goes. So it's the authority that it was really new to them, and it was very new to them. Because when it came to evil spirits, you know, the, um, the conference speakers of the time, the national speakers that people would try to get to talk about demons, the best-selling authors, you know, um, the people in the know, when they when they talked about demons to you, and they would they would they give teachings about demons, you know, give seminars about there. There was always a process to it. There was always a an elaborate um, ritual that you would go through to try to get rid of demons. And it's it's kind of interesting what they would do. It's basically two methods. People had two methods for getting rid of demons. One, you could try to scare them out. Or you could try to trump them with a greater name. So people would go around and say, the name of Solomon. You know, you try to trump them with a great name and get rid of the demon. So, for example, Josephus, first century author, uh, he describes an exorcism performed by Rabbi Eliezer. Rabbi, rabbi Eleazar was the greatest rabbi of the first century, along with Rabbi Hillel. Rabbi Eliezer once did an exorcism that Josephus describes. And what he did was he took this ring and he filled it with real uh, foul-smelling roots, these foul-smelling herbs. I mean, they really smelled bad, really bad. And he they, they took this ring and he shoved it up the guy's nose. The idea was, that this, was so, this smelled so bad. It would smell so bad inside the guy's head that the demon would leave because he couldn't stand it. And then, you know, this would be accompanied by various incantations that were done. And that was the process. And apparently sometimes it worked. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> but nothing like this. You know, sometimes you get these scholars and they say, oh, there are parallels to Jesus' exorcism, not like this. There is no parallel to this authority where he speaks and they go. There's nothing like this. That's why they're so shocked. And you notice there, it's, their, it's the authority. That, they had no category for this, the way he was acting here. So their reaction is it's not so much joy as alarm. It's like, great, the demon's gone, but who is this guy? What authority? It's a matter of authority throughout this passage, isn't it? Right. He starts, verse 22, with authority. And then the, this whole incident that actually took place in the synagogue, it's really an illustration of his authority. And then verse 27 ends talking about authority. Right. Where does this authority come, come from? It came from what he did in the wilderness. We talked about last week. And then what he was going to do. This incident was just a, a really a foreshadowing of the destruction. Notice that word in verse 24. It talks about de- destroying them, about the destruction of evil that was coming. How did Jesus destroy evil? Well, again, it had to do with his authority. The first 14 and a half chapters of Mark, Jesus is the subject of the verbs. Jesus is the active agent in the sentences, pretty much. Something happens, it flips, halfway through chapter 14, and suddenly Jesus is the object of the sentences. He's the object, he's passive object in the verbs, of the verbs. What happened? Well, he took his authority and he laid it down. This is how he destroyed evil, is that he laid that authority down and he let evil have its way over us, over him for us he became you know subject to evil and it, it just did what it wanted with its body it's sort of like we uh, me and the waves you know we were at the beach uh, in august and i like going in swimming when the waves are really big so i like getting in there fighting the waves you know my wife does not like this but i like going in there and but there's always one wave that comes along and you know there's basically nothing I can do about it. You know I'm I'm a rag doll, and the wave just does whatever it wants to me, right? And I, it puts me wherever it wants me to go. But there's nothing I can do about it. It's Just the power of that wave. That's what Jesus did with evil. He just laid down. He let evil toss him around like a like a rag doll. And because he laid down that authority, that's what has won for us his authority now in your life to take care of evil, to get rid of it. And he does it, friends. His authority is so complete that he actually exercises evil from people's lives. And you know, this is what keeps uh, pastors going. You know, this is, what, uh, this is what keeps pastors going, continuing to be able to be pastors, because we see this sometimes in people's lives, isn't that true? is that we see this happen and this makes it worth it. Um, You especially see this when you get around great evil. Uh, People who work in in prison ministries um, especially can see the great contrast that goes on when God gets a hold of a life, when Jesus comes into synagogue of someone's heart like a, min- a ministry that I like to always promote is this, this, this goes along quietly. You don't hear a lot about it, but it's been going on in different states and different states have started to pick up on it. It's done in South Carolina, it's done in Louisiana, and kind of most probably you, you might have even heard about it, it's done in Alabama and Birmingham, where they opened up the prisons for seminary classes. And a local seminary will go in and teach seminary classes to the prisoners. And this, there's a program going on here in Birmingham, Birmingham Theological Seminary is going in pre- and um, conducting seminar, you know, classes, actual classes where uh, in, in uh, where convicts can get a degree in the Bib Correctional Facility. And this is not something where oh, you know, he gets religion and then he get he makes parole. It doesn't shorten the sentence. In fact, to be in this program. They're doing in Alabama. You have to be, at least be in in there. You have to at least have a sentence that goes on for another seven years, because it doesn't shorten the sentence. And the idea is it takes a couple of years, and these these inmates actually become ministers, and then they stay in the prisons. There's one guy who's been in prison for thirty years. He was in this program, and they just had a, a first graduating class in Alabama this past year. And what happens is these inmates, and these are guys. These are, you know, these, this length of time, you realize what they've done. They've done some serious crimes. They're talking about murder and rape, and that's why they're in there. And they stay in there and they start ministering as ministers to other prisoners. And so, what are they doing? They're doing things like sometimes they save other prisoners from violence. Sometimes like they, they stay up all night with people who've overdosed. This one guy paid off the debt of another prisoner as a minister. And they're in there ministering. It's absolute change. So the guy, Thad James, who's running uh, this, this one down in Birmingham, he, he has these folks in his living room with his family. So the fact that he is comfortable having them in his, fa- in his living room with his family tells you something, doesn't it? There has been actual eradication of evil from this person's life. And that's what's going on in each of our lives. So, friends, as we come to the table now, You recognize the cry of evil maybe in your life, and maybe there are some some convulsions going on as Jesus is, is coming into that situation to address it. But this you can know, that the end of evil is certain because he banishes it. He's made it certain, so you can turn to him. Amen? Amen.